Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back here kicking it in the Rumpus Room, but uh, this week we are coming to you live from the Cabin Rumpus Room. Yeah, so, Cabin Cast. Cabin Cast, here it is. So if you hear the occasional boat go by, you you know, don't be alarmed. We're not in any danger, um, but uh, I, it's, a, it's a lovely day. We hope you guys are enjoying yourself wherever you're at, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So I've been... <clears throat> thinking about to-do lists and I think that's one of the least favorite parts of my day is working with one of those. So a great way that I figured out to kind of ticking those off is instead of making a list that requires you to make a decision. So, you know, just a a quick example is like, um, I need to send an email to, let's just say Kathy to remind her instead of that being the, uh, the bullet, you would say, open Outlook, send email to Kathy. So it takes oh, away bite-sized steps. Psych- psychologically the like step that you have to take. Yep. So that's kind of a big part of what we're trying to, what I've been trying to do is eliminate as much psychological resistance as possible in my, in my day. And I think mm-hmm. that's been the easiest thing. And, um, that really goes to a lot of the psychology around like task accomplishment, which is, you know, say you're, if you're going to try and do a hundred pushups in a day, the first thing you should be like, is like, get on the ground and do one pushup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like put your, put on your, uh, workout clothes. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. think about working out for an hour. It's like, just do the first small step and just chunk away at it. Well, this is making me think about a really kind of current topic in my life about like the um relentless obsession with people these days to for self-improvement and we always talk about we always talk about self-improvement we're addicts of self-improvement super huge self-improvement addicts i mean from the books you're reading to just our family and our culture in general um we grew up in a more achievement oriented shall we say (laughs) uh area and um yeah, and I I recently met a gentleman who just very non traditionally um, very non traditionally wealthy, super interesting story, and was sort of a uh, I mean sort of a wild card, like super huge wild card, and I, I'm just I'm always so marveled by the amount of different paths that there are because a lot of the times, especially with the relentless self improvement stuff, the same language is oftentimes repeated repeated 100 percent agree wake up early you know do whatever 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 yep and exactly and sometimes obviously there's like tons of truth to that and, and whatever but i have to believe that we're pigeon pigeonholing ourselves a little bit 100%. with some of it yep well no, i think as more research comes out in this vein i've noticed a shift from like waking up early to like find when you work best in your day yeah. so it's it's really they're backing into why other people are more successful and not just these blanket statements of you know wake meditate up at, for yeah two wake hours up at six day, meditate go exercise, you know, exercise eat a good breakfast blah 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 it's yeah, like which, you, you know, can like, do all that stuff and not get a damn thing done in the day. Well, and then you could sit and read motivational articles your entire day yeah. about doing those things when really what it gets down to is, you know, what like Cal Newport and all, it's like deep work 
you know, Robert Greene talks a lot about mastery and it's just putting the hours in it's on the desired task. Yeah, it's not like, it's always getting in, get your fingers, you know, get every get your hands dirty and work. Yeah, and like you could go for a two-hour run and that'd be sweet, but if yeah. you had to pump out a two-hour analysis and you went for a two-hour run and you're like, now I'm ready to get into it versus just like yeah. going out and crushing it. I mean, yeah. sure, who knows what the downstream impacts of that are, but I feel like I get internally frustrated when I hear a lot of this narrative about like this is if you do these things. Yeah, then, it, you're, then, it, then it means success. Yeah. The and, formula. And, and it's, it's just very much not. No, you know, it's not at all. And I think, yeah, the, the whole diversity of the different ways you can make money is – you know, a lot of it actually is not going and working for a big corporation. That's not how you make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get into that because it's easier. And I think that, like the gentleman you talked to, he went a non-traditional route and yeah, was massively successful. And I think part of that is because he went the non-traditional route. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, why mm-hmm. why did he end up that place? I think I think that's just a really big part of. You know, it's, it's, everybody's on their individual journey. Well, and knowing yourself, he was very aware that he was a relational person. He got into the relational business game Mm -hmm. and he just said straight up the most sort of, uh, cliche adage of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of, cause I, whenever I meet a really successful person, I'm always like, Hey man, how'd you do it? Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. And, and, you know, he had a wildly interesting story. So it just made me, you know, I mean, he's not the type of guy who's waking up at six in the morning and meditating, you know, he's, you just know that by meeting him, he's going out and he's, he's gassing beers, he's gassing beers, he's crushing cigs. He's, well, the only thing about that though, is there's like a, there's like a satisfaction and happiness thing that I mm-hmm. think, you know, we define success so differently people do like he probably he made a ton of money Mm -hmm. is he that happy with his life you don't know so the decisions he makes that's on you and him to kind of decide what works for him and what doesn't you can look at he's out late at night well maybe maybe his life he's he's happy with his work life but he's not with other areas you Mm -hmm. just don't know know i mean there's and there's it's really hard to look at one person and be like Oh, it's an N of one for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just, and, and I think too, there, there's a, a huge frustration with, you know, this is the formula for being successful mm-hmm. and that has been proven. And we're finding the more you read into this stuff, it's proven wrong all of the time. Yeah. And that, and that's, that was just kind of my point is that mm-hmm. like, um, I think everybody's in the business of finding the most efficient way to wherever they're trying to get, or, yep. you know, the most sort of the path of least resistance mm-hmm. really, which, um, is, uh, the, called the water course way. Uh, I, I believe some people have said, uh, it's the Wu Shu way. I've also heard Wu Wu way, uh, was kind of a Japanese proverb of like water will always flow in the path of least resistance. And, um, Downstream. you know, yeah, downhill, you know, with the path of least resistance. And, um, the other day I went to this greenhouse in the middle of an Indian reservation and it was really fascinating because we're driving along this road and all of the sudden we pass the sign that says Lakutare Indian reservation and the foliage immediately changed Hmm. like the trees, the undergrowth, the, how did it change? It was so much more full. You mean like 
more vibrant more vibrant colors more vibrant colors more full and it was, it was super arbitrary it was like the sign and boom right away hmm. and i just uh or distinct rather and i just i, I was so kind of floored because then i started thinking about native american life and i saw this like assembly of god church which i was kind of like gosh that's it just i didn't understand it mm-hmm. i you know because obviously native americans have an intensely religious and spiritual sort of, um, you know, groundwork or framework. 100%. And then I see this assembly of God church in the middle of it. And I was kind of like, how does, how does this all happen? You know? And it was, it was just blowing my mind as we were going through. And, um, as I I was thinking about, you know, what we put ourselves through because I'm in the middle of planning a wedding, which is obviously very resource intensive. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, like there are constraints yeah. and you do a lot of things in order to remove constraints on yourself. And, and I was just kind of having this internal dialogue about like choices and paths in life. And it was kind of fascinating to, to listen to because it was one of those moments where I just stepped outside of myself for a little bit and was like, wow, you know, there are multiple paths. And I always end up back at the same place, which is mm-hmm. I really want to work hard. Yep. I want to do what I'm doing. I want to excel. I want these things. I don't feel bad about mm-hmm. my position it. in life and why I want these things. And and it's taken me a rather long time to kind of like sort of understand mm-hmm. all of that because like um, how much of our life and our narrative has been sort of set out before us. For sure. Know, realistically, like mm-hmm. how much of your thoughts are like originally your thoughts versus like what you implanted totally in your mind by somebody or something yeah or your environment or the culture that you're surrounded by whatever and Mm -hmm. and so you know and this is just sort of perhaps the maturation process in our older audience is probably sitting back there like god these idiots (laughs) (laughs) oh it's taking me so long yeah geez well i finally welcome to the party i've realized that with every decision you make you either get you go closer or farther away like mm-hmm. your con every every little decision you make. I mean, mm-hmm. it's even the thoughts you choose to exercise in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like what articles you read, it gets you moving the right direction, or can take you off your path. Well, it moves you in a direction. Yeah, yeah. And that direction may not be congruous with which direction which you end up. You want to be hoping for, yeah. and yeah. and that's been a big part of I think realization in my life. And I can, you know, we we talk a lot about the media and I have a certain perspective on the media because of an experience that I went through. And I think it might be important for people who listen to this to just understand me and kind of why I have this perspective. Um, And it really goes along with, you know, me kind of opening my eyes to certain experiences. And when I, I mean, when I started work, I came out of college walking pretty tall. Mm-hmm. I, I was, well, I got knocked down my senior year, but I was fairly confident. I was an athlete. I had good, pretty good grades. I was part of all these organizations. I got a job, which in 2010 was pretty difficult. Not easy to do at Not that time. Not easy. And the job came through a connection through my father. So he was a client of a company and tons of work was done on establishing, is it okay, legally, all this stuff. So got the job. Things went great for a couple of years. I was doing really well, really figuring out how to work and how to change, you know, how to adapt to this next level of my life. And 
when you're 20. Well, and, and let's get some perspective here. How many new hires did you come in with? Well, there was like they bring they bring a class of analysts yeah, all in. There was 30 of them. Teach them all how to do mm-hmm. a particular sort of analysis or function yep. on the client site. And it was clear fairly early that you were excelling. You were I was top. doing quite well. Yep. And I was told throughout the entire process I was doing well. So great feedback from my bosses, great feedback from trainers. The clients were all, I had. Very complimentary. Very, very good. You know, so it was not an issue of me, you know, there was just a lot of good feedback going around. So I was, I was again finding my way working. Um, and then all of a sudden the, there was a, there was kind of a conflict that was happening behind the scenes between my company and the, the client that we had, which I was working on. And I didn't think a ton about it. And all of a sudden I got a call from my dad at night and he said, uh, there's going to be an article in tomorrow's paper and it's going to be about us. I don't know what the, what the content is going to be, but I, from what I know, it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I mean, there's, what do you say to that? I didn't really have an understanding. So I was kind of like, all right, we'll just, I went to sleep. I didn't, I don't think I slept well, but I don't don't really know how you would. Yeah. (laughs) Not exactly settling news before going out to sleep. And, you know, and this kind of goes back to some of the, th- some of the ways I handled myself in these situations. I was pretty good at kind of putting it away, you know, not dealing with it entirely. Yeah, but you also had no idea what was, what was in front of you. Oh, 100%. I, I didn't have any idea. So I woke up the next morning and you know how you wake up and you look at your phone. Mm-hmm. So I one-eyed and the first thing I saw was an article that was Fairview, like an executive and his son, and then it went into our entire relationship. This front page news of a pretty large um, city paper. And it just displayed a lot of my emails and a lot of the details of my life, which I had never felt that type of violation before. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was completely violated to the point where it was like, they got so many details wrong I mean, emails that were mis they gave me a promotion, first of all, which was really nice of them. They misquote, so there was like uh, uh, something that happened at work, completely misquoted it. And I'm not saying details because it really doesn't matter. Um, and so that, that it was just really a violation for me. And I just was so astounded at how untrue these stories were because this was all actually public information at this point because we gave up our emails. Mm-hmm. Well, not only though was this information um, untrue, it was untrue with the intention of a particular motive that 100%. that was adverse to you and some other people, and in the direction of a. I mean, it was a smear, a smear campaign, complete smear campaign, and it was targeted at myself and my father. And going through that with like your superhero was just like, it's an experience that's really hard to explain. Um, but seeing how he handled it, and it was just completely trying to smear him and how he, he handled it was you know, interesting. We both kind of went through our thing. And you know, so the next, the, the next day we had a family dinner and I, I pretty much lost it with everybody. It was just like, holy crap. I just got sucker punched. I have no idea how to even handle this. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. did I do as a 23 and a half year old? I was just like, I just got to stay above water. It went from like, I got to like really start to take life by the horns. So like, I just want to stay above water. So I just hid mm. 
all of my shit. And what I would do is go, I started to pound at work, mm. like just really crank things out. I was like, you know, this article can't define me. You know, you got to go through that like sure. really pissed off phase. Well, and this is a huge differentiating factor between um, me and our family that I'd just like to point out, which is when um, faced with adversity like that, we tend to want to rise up and fight against it and prove it so yes. hardly wrong, which it's yeah. not exactly the way that everybody works no, in the world. <laughs> no, it, uh, you know, it's something that we've been, we've had, I oh, think, yeah. the pleasure of our, our, our parents and our family around us of exhibiting. It's like when stuff happens, dig deep and keep mm -hmm. going. And mm -hmm. we, you know, during sports, we were taught that during, like we were talking about arguments with our brothers, you know, we would just dig in and mm -hmm. keep going to try to get through it. Cause that's, you really have two choices. It's, dig in and go or just crumble to it yeah so yeah. i did what i what i thought was right and so weeks went by i ended up you know that whole thing kind of moved moved through and i got through it i moved to another client it was like this is exactly where i wanted to go big huge client out west was like i'm through it i got this i made it whatever so first few weeks I found just massive savings. Again, I was burying myself. I was working super hard, talking to attorneys at night, really just like, I can get through this. A couple weeks later, I think I was on site for like six, eight weeks. I was doing really well. And then all of a sudden they're like, Sam, um, we can't have you on this project anymore. And I was like, what? And I was involved. It was the two highest guys who were like number three and four in the company. And they're like, well, your, your name came up in our executive meeting. We're going to have to remove you. And I was like, what? And, you know, this is like a year later. And I was like, what the mm -hmm. hell is going, you know? Well, and in all fairness, you were at probably the, was it their largest client? It's the their brand, biggest brand new large client, which so, for me, that was my request. That was the pinnacle. Like, like I want to go there. And I, it's I the got, best I opportunity. And yeah. I was performing really well. And I understand the decision they made politically and what they were doing. But, you know, for me, I mean, I actually in that meeting started to tear up because I had no idea how to respond. And I'm a mm -hmm. pretty strong person, I consider myself. And so I, you know, like I can hold those emotions in pretty strong, but I just like kind of let it out. And I remember the reaction from those guys was like, oh, shit. We made the wrong decision. This is So then, of course, they kind of white glove me for the next few months. So they what they did is stuff me into some tiny, you know a back office operation, which again, I went there and worked my butt off and did well, but I was kind of white gloved and I just felt like, God, I got this black eye on me. Mm -hmm. Like I just kind of came to this realization after you know, I worked there for a long time, you know, six months probably, but just getting this messaging of like, uh, I don't know if, you know, it's basically telling me, I don't know if this is the right thing. And it took me a while to kind of feel that, but I just, it was always like, I was the black sheep. So people were treating me weird. You know, I was getting emails from the executives, like, how is everything going? And da da da. It's like, just feels weird. Yeah. So I ended up like just. Damage control. Like, you know, you did something wrong. Like, what did just, I do wrong? You well, know? I mean, the yeah. executives knew that they did something wrong and they were yep. just like, felt bad. Exactly. And yeah. so from that, you know, I actually made the decision I needed, I need to get out of there. Yeah. So I left and it was a, a good relief. Went to a new company and things got a little better. You know, then I actually found another job, which is a smaller company. I'm like, all right, small company, I can do this. So I get a job at a another big-ass client. It's a big insurer. 
And I'm like, all right, this is great. Here we go. Worked there for six months. What do you know? They said, Sam, we're going to have to remove you from the client because of your last name. And I was like, this is all two or three years later. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm like, I did, I don't, what did I do wrong? I, you just start mm-hmm. to question, like, is this what life has, you know, yeah. is this what life has for me moving have, forward? Have very, it gives you very little faith in the trajectory of it does. Of it all, and I was yeah. dealing with it in ways that now I realize were not appropriate of like, I was going out and getting wasted in weekends. Mm-hmm. Like, burying myself in, like, try, uh, watching crap TV. Mm-hmm. I was trying to not, I was really not dealing with things. You know, my mom, I went to see a therapist and was like, no, I'm not, I don't drink. You know, it's, it's fine. I have a few and kind of gave the company line of like, things are fine. Mm-hmm. But really, I'd go just bury myself till 2 a.m. And just kind of try to get, and I was just trying to get through things and not really deal with the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just, you know, that was kind of how I was dealing with things. Um, And so I just got really mad. Mm -hmm. And like this article that was so untrue with me, it just, and so what I, it really got me into like, how do I move through this stuff? So I went Mm -hmm. on this longer journey of like trying to, almost find myself again. Like, how do I get back to build myself up? And so now I've been building this foundation of myself. So I've cut back on alcohol usage significantly, which, you know, some people it works out well. For me, it was the right choice because I I just couldn't handle dealing with things that way. I've found an absolutely delightful woman who I've been spending my time with and really somebody that I care about. You know, and like we're doing things like I'm podcasting with you. Like this is a choice that I love. I, I just like doing this. This is mm-hmm. great. And I'm just kind of on this journey of learning. I ended up kind of in a situation where it's like, do I leave a do I leave my job and start a company? And I don't think having all of that experience, I would have been able to handle the stress of asking for money, starting a new job. You know, mm-hmm. basically the. There's no path forward, but I think all of this kind of movement has pushed me in that direction. So I got funding, have a company now that is, you know, seeming like it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. It's really Mm -hmm. a positive thing sitting at the cabin right now. There's just a lot of good things going, but it's like this journey has really shaped me. And, And if you hear kind of my frustration around media, that's kind of a lot of what, where it comes from. It's like I had this experience, which kind of continue continued to bite me years and years later mm-hmm, mm-hmm. however though looking back on it like i made this transition in my life and it's really given me something that's a lot more valuable and it's given me like a direction and i feel a lot more comfortable with myself my life the people i surround myself with i've made a lot i hope better decisions mm-hmm. but man it's been quite quite an interesting experience like you see how the family hands that handles things around you. You see your your dad. My dad was just a superhero, and how he handled things. I mean, he went through a lot too. Mm-hmm. And he's out doing Do some amazing on to bigger things. and better stuff, man. I mean, straight like, up. And that's and that's one of the. It's it was I was so lucky to have him as a a reference point to see him just. I mean, he's gone so far. I mean, mm-hmm. just from he's just exponentially in a better place. Mm-hmm. And that is such a great example for a son to see your 
you know, somebody just, in a, just doing that, that it makes my journey a lot easier. Not easier, but it makes, it's a, it's a better path for me to kind of emulate and do it in my own way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not doing the exact same thing. I'm doing my own thing. And, you know, talking to you about this on the podcast has been just awesome. Well, I think the, um, you know, one of the themes that I sort of gleaned is the, um, first of all, how adversity oftentimes leads you to a greater realization of self, yes. which I think yes. is just such a hugely under-discussed idea in society today. Mm-hmm. The value of suffering and challenge in adversity um and I think some of it's cultural because, you know, obviously, like, we've we've been born into the era of comfort. Like, for sure. Uh-huh. And so I don't think we have developed as, of, as much of an affinity for suffering when we've spent such a long time, like, sort of trying to insulate ourselves from it. So these experiences, I find, are um, sometimes perhaps exponentially more crushing than they perhaps needed to be. Or if they yes. needed to be, they were that right amount of of you know crushing this such that it would incur a behavior change yes, right or it exactly. would prompt a behavior change mm-hmm. and um i so i was went to a support group the other night for young adults and one of the things that a young gentleman said was he was like yeah you know i'm just feeling really bad because the state of the world and all of these kids are young 20s you know yeah. early 20s and a lot of them were like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, I know it's so bad. Trump this, Trump that, climate change, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yep. Throw out. And I really had to bite my tongue. And luckily, an older gentleman kind of took the bait and <laughs> and, uh, and was like, hey, you know, well, you don't, what good does that do? Like, do your part. Like, if you're really that pissed off about climate change, which in this sense this gentleman was, was it was like, Hey, um, you know, and he, he even said, yeah, I've been thinking about volunteering at this nonprofit. And it's like, yeah, dude, do it, go F and do it. Mm -hmm. Stop telling people progress about it, make Mm -hmm. progress. And then his point was like, yeah, but it just seems so futile. Like my life is so insignificant. And that's, I think where, uh, the media really has, strayed and is hamstringing people because of the sensationalization the lack of power the lack of power that is given to a reader the over encompassing tone of every piece of literature that comes out today i mean it's ridiculous it's not a objectivity is just non-existent and it's very it's very frustrating to see because uh, there are a lot of people who are becoming victim to the victim mindset 100% 100% agree. And who do you think is easier to manipulate as somebody that's has agency and looks at things and exactly. says, this is true, this is not true, or mm-hmm. somebody that reads whatever is spit to them and accepts that mm-hmm. as this is the way of how things are done. And so I, I think having that experience that I've had previously has allowed me to take a step back and say, what is really being written here and what is the intent you know, you can look at all of this stuff in so many different ways. And I think, yeah, saying you're a victim and like, oh, I, it's not even worth doing. It's like, well, I think that's the way people kind of want you to feel sometimes. And so yeah, yep. you and, can, and we can make a difference. I mean, you can. And 
even if that difference is in one person's life. Uh-huh. I mean, what what else, What are you, why are we here? I mean, it just gets even into a greater discussion of what impact do you want to have on the world and where can you make it? Yeah, and I, I look at young adults and I, I think that, you know, we have done, there is so much ground to be made up or there's so much opportunity in the market to bring these messages to more people so that they feel empowered to take control of their lives because mm-hmm. this mindset of doom and gloom will end up being the trajectory of humanity if we all decide to believe it. And yeah. and so then the You're next totally right. the next question that somebody asked was do you think that civilization will crumble within our lifetime? If we think like that. And he was like, "Oh, well, it's quoted that 2040, you know, we're supposed to be hitting the point of no return and the climate's going to be destroyed and then everything is going to be, you know." And and then but then when when pressed a little further, he was like, "Honestly, I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime." And I was like, that is what, the there answer. is your answer. Be in that space. Yeah. Don't be in the space of like, oh, I'm so sad and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. that is just a barometer. I mean, these are, these adverse events, this adversarial media is an opportunity for people to be like, F off, you know? Like, yeah, I don't support this anymore. <laughs> like, you can make that decision. Uh-huh. And you can it, make that decision as a, a human being or a person to say, even a young adult say, I don't, I don't stand for this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I, I'm better than this. Mm-hmm. I've seen this before. It feels wrong to me and I can, I can move. And we had talked about potentially bringing up empathy in the situation. And I was really trying. That was the reason that I was biting my tongue when I see somebody mm-hmm. say something like that, because, um, you know, I don't want to sort of point out the inadequacy of the argument in public that doesn't typically help people like move on Change management usually yeah. is, is a very uh, strategic thing yeah so uh what ended up happening is um he sort of expounded for a little while and then at the end of his lamenting he had some sort of a hopeful statement about like um you know this is what i'm going to do or whatever and then i just sort of affirmed that and was like that's your answer and then everybody in the whole group is like yeah that's how you gotta be man and it was so cool to have this tiny little moment and there it was right before he was going to say the word but and he was going to discredit (laughs) it and you can tell somebody who is in a rut because they tell you the answer that they need and then they say but here are the things things. exactly Mm -hmm. that term is just if you notice yourself saying that or can't is pretty much the uh in my opinion, the one thing that tells you that I'm really struggling with something that I'm not like taking full responsibility for, or I'm not acknowledging or whatever it is. So. Yep. And that, I think they call that uh, solution based therapy. So there's uh, a term that I've been reading about is, you know, a lot of therapy is like talk therapy has been done. That, you know, let's dig into your problems like let's go back to your history and really solve sure freudian sort of yep. what's your like and, yeah. and where i've been talking about this with a lot of people that's more or less on the curiosity of the therapist and not the reason they want to solve yeah i can see that because they're kind of like i'm going to figure out what happened with this person such yeah. that they're here now as yeah, opposed well, to solutions orientation as, a, as opposed yeah. to like let's move them forward and so there's yeah. been a movement in this it's just actually pretty small of like solution-based therapy of just what you're talking about of like that's the light go do yeah, that like you yeah. just kind of ch- you're trying to change their mind to say 
Yeah. So what, tell me about that. And like, how do you, how are you successful that way? And like, get them to kind of say, instead of thinking about all the bad things, like the mm-hmm. one good thought, mm-hmm. you just, you know, like, like for somebody that, let's just say like an addict, it's like, Hey, when, what, tell me like for one hour when you aren't, you aren't, you know, um, shooting up, what, how do you get to that space? Like focus on that hour and like, what do you do and where are you? And mm-hmm. it's like trying to build, instead of like, tell me about the 23 hours where you're off and you know, you have no control. It's like, how do we get some control back? Yeah. And gestalt therapy is kind of like the first way in that direction from the conventional, like Freudian yes. Jung approach. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I watched some old videos of like that, that type of therapy. And I thought it was just so interesting because it's all about being present. So yes. the person who he was, talking to would always sort of waffle between the past and the future and lament about that too. And he was always like, yeah, but we're here right now. We're here right now. We're here right now. We're here right now. I thought it was really fascinating because, um, that sort of presenteeism too is just such a huge, and uh, you know, the mindfulness movement and all that stuff is sort of bringing it to light. But, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's very tough to be well, and you know, people will say depression is like an attachment to things that went wrong in the past, and anxiety yeah, is yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think they're more of like feelings that every person has experienced about what it means to be a human being than you know, sort of clinical disorders or diseases. Like, exactly, know, like yeah. labeling it in a certain way of like it, what's. And I think that's a. I think I hope that evolution is coming on how because it's a starting to become such a national thing. Well, I just watched a video the other day, which was this gentleman who, um, you know, no clinical background whatsoever, just a deep thinker, which is really cool. Cause you know, a lot of these people are ostracized out of the community that yeah. is yeah. propagated on, you know, the propagation of whatever is but going because on. Because you went through school and you could yeah. these tests. And, and uh, okay, this person. yeah, his whole, his whole thing was like PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder uh and or that's what it's conventionally called today but really what it is is it's a pro post-traumatic uh response it's a uh so pt as post-traumatic stress response yeah and his whole thing was like you know really what you've done is you've developed a certain set of coping mechanisms or behaviors that probably legitimately helped you continue at some point so yeah um a good example is this other woman in the support group. She uh, has extreme anger issues and she was adopted by her family and she used to watch her mother get beaten as a child. So she was yeah. child in her, uh, and then they were basically taken out of that home. And so she was like, God, I should I just have all of these? I fly off the handle so quickly. And I just said like, how could you not? Yeah, of course. How you could do. you not? Yeah. Like you've, you've witnessed, such an amazingly traumatic experience. I think it's only natural that you would. Yeah. Yeah. So I I was really pushing for her not to be mad at herself for it because then that makes it worse. Of course. Like, you know, and I, I love that idea of a response because you look at a behavior then as something that you're empowered to essentially respond to Mm -hmm. as opposed to something that is like outside of you or out of your control. Yep. Which I just thought was like great way to think about, any behavior that you develop is sort of a response to the environment and that's your development of a response and you yes. own the ability to change your response. Yes, that's huge. And I'm, I'm glad, I think you're, I think people are starting to put that, 
in a better light to mm-hmm. instead of judge or object how we make these considerations of behaviors mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of like immediate judgment mm-hmm. as to this isn't what you should be doing yeah this isn't optimal this isn't what is good for our society which you know a lot of times that could be right but it's like how do you know that's not healthy that well doesn't and do what it doesn't do it doesn't impact the response it further mm-hmm. labels the response yeah it's the opposite effect. it is the opposite it is the it is the isolation yes, of the response which makes it even further accessible for people to address exactly and that's something that i've just been like so current in my life and so yeah. i'm super glad we get to share, yeah <laughs> talk about that no i know and it's like these, uh, are, these are real things that we're dealing with yeah. and it's not like you know, we're pretty normal guys. I would consider. I mean, well, a lot I mean, of other people wouldn't think that, but yeah, I, I think these are things that we talk about with our significant others. Oh, speaking of normalcy, uh, let's let's share oh, a few sort of stories <laughs> of us being uh, us or friends. We'll will not uh, say we won't say names, no names, and we won't identify if it was one of us or a one of our, one of our friends. Yes. But uh, I think the best one is, uh, so, you know, speaking of being normal and coping mechanisms and responses, college has a pretty significant binge drinking culture in the area that we were from. And um, there are a couple stories. Oh, we've just had a late entrance into the podcast. Okay. Somebody's coming in. Yeah. She's got something to say. This is a 60-pound chocolate lab. Yeah. You'll probably Uh, hear her breathing. She's broke through a door, so we'll have to fix that later. And uh, so, uh, in, in in terms of uh, our or our social groups' responses to perhaps let's say stress, yes, alcohol was uh, was one of them. And it, speaking of normal, everybody poops, everybody pees. I'm yeah, just gonna lay. I'm just gonna pee. And we've got some pretty funny stories of yeah. folks that decided to relieve themselves in unconventional ways yeah shall we and say. i don't so it's like it's really hard because i i don't want to like paint this image of like this is awesome and you should do it like we have this is just you look back on it and you just shake your head like wow that was really dumb well and we're telling you about how perhaps adolescent we were because we just had 35 minutes of like really intense discussion Deep, so i'm needing to be back. like let's talk about toilet humor for a little while oh for sure so some people, when they get too intoxicated, they relieve themselves at inopportune times or outside of normal standards. Outside of normal behaviors. So there, it's been said that people involved in our life have had a number of different experiences. And I think, I mean, do you want to start off with the best one or go? I think we build up to it okay. with, uh, with uh, so the, the find the corner of the room and just relieve yourself is yep. a pretty yep. common one. And uh, there's been multiple strategies to influence that behavior, which yes. I think is very funny. And uh, initially, that behavior of, hey, stop peeing, whatever, like being really angry has has not been as effective at behavior change. For sure. And uh, somebody close to the situation has said that they've amended, amended the way that they decide to address the fact that this urine is not being deposited in the right location and yes. and now the approach is more like hey have you considered peeing in the toilet <laughs> versus stop peeing in the corner 
going back to our behavior change. Uh, Good lesson to learn. That is. Hey, have you thought about peeing in the bathroom? Yes. Have you thought about this? <laughs> have you gave consideration? Oh, no, I haven't, actually. I'll oh, make no. my way in there right now. I was just on my way. Sorry. <laughs> so that was one. There was uh, one that was... Uh, in between a couple beds in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. kind of letting her fly. Mm-hmm. Right where you have that existing problem. You've got the uh, you've got the straight of Hormuz and you're just mm-hmm. letting her fly in there. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I've noticed a lot of men have an issue with is like they wait till basically the last minute. And I think that goes back to most of our toilet humor is like not a lot of planning goes around, you know, this daily behavior where it's and, and maybe it is our response systems perhaps are very short so it's like it's an issue now like it's not like you have oh here's a warning sign here's a here's an alarm you know you've got the software it's like now this is an issue here you go yeah well i mean it's i i i would be pretty shocked if there were uh, anyway. Let's yeah. just tell another one. So uh, no, what, what was another one? Um, I like the DVD player. I oh, noticed. the DVD player was a friend was in his room with his significant other, and his roommate walked in, put his hand above the TV, and started. Well, really, more held on to the TV as he held on as he's balancing because he is he was like he's, a big uh, swinging tree in a huge hurricane. More like a bowling ball. Bowling ball. He's a round gentleman. He's a bigger boy, and he. Just started to pee in the DVD player and on the PlayStation. I would in the PlayStation, and they, yeah, I think it was one of those gaming systems. Yeah, sure. And then just calmly kept on going in in the middle of yelling and screaming of two people sitting in a bunk, and then just calmly zipped up, walked back, and doesn't have a lot of recollection of <laughs> no that recollection experience. of the event. So yeah. he was a couple pounds lighter in the wallet after that. Yeah. So, so that was one and then you know the big one is when a gentleman was he's a very bigger he's a bigger guy and was stumbling around so the roommate kind of was like oh what's going on i gotta go check this guy out he's he has a history of alcohol kind of i think behavior that's when um you know you kind of know what's going on so he was in his room like somebody that I knew walked in and he was in a chair that, you know, like one of those swinging chairs, swivel chairs, swivel chairs, basically 360 degree swivel. And he was peeing and swiveling and this, not like just kind of swiveling, like an entire like revolution. We're talking like three, four revolutions of peeing. We're talking computer bed sheets you know, just everywhere, and you know these college rooms are There's not big. Not a lot of space in there. So it was. It was. Was he laughing as he was doing it, no, or was he unaware? Like, it was kind of like hands back behind the head type of relaxation, <laughs> just, just enjoying I mean, the moment. Really. Yeah, just and I, my friend was so baffled by what was what was transpiring in front like, of his eyes. You don't expect to walk in and just have somebody just soiling their entire room, just claiming like. <laughs> You're a little dog. This, like, is, this my is all space. mine. This is all mine, everybody. Uh, Every inch is mine. <laughs> this is mine. This is this mine. Is mine. <laughs> this is mine. Stay uh, away. Really though, buddy. that's that's an advancement in marking territory right there. Oh, is yeah. when you efficient. I mean, yeah, that is that's right efficient. There. That, that's and a, it's and it's relaxing. Very comfortable. It's, it's like 
I'm going to enjoy this. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not proud moments in everybody's life, but, you know, things sometimes you can look back on and just say, well, we were, we had some interesting experiences and we're glad we're not there anymore. Not there anymore. And uh, in terms of having fun, um, we've got a, uh, a family friend or a friend's wedding coming up and uh, the dog is going to be walked down the aisle and so we're thinking about trying to outfit a camera on it or something we call it the Calvin cam Calvin we think it might be kind of fun to get the wedding from the dog's perspective so um, I don't know maybe we'll post some videos about that or Look something like he's, that he's Look a for delightful a, a, gold retriever yeah. who has like, it, the most I, energy you could possibly put into a 65 pound thing well and i would say the most he'll have the most interesting perspective of anybody at the ceremony for sure i mean yeah. he's walking down the aisle so yeah he, that's gotta be interesting and it remains to be seen whether or not it is with a suit or not or maybe yeah, just a still, bow tie we we're don't still know. you know the jury's not out because these not are out if you go on instagram i'm sure there's tons of photos of people with their dogs at weddings, so mm-hmm. this is a new one but this guy is going to be he's going to be a stone cold killer yeah. And uh, the over under on him peeing right now, the odds are at four to one. So if yeah. you want to get in, send us an email in, at rumpusroofpodcast at gmail.com. And if you send a payment, we can kind yeah. of move the odds one way or another. Yeah, yeah, our, they're hot right now. They're, the Let's odds are hot. There's an inside track on something. So <laughs> some guys, some, uh, somebody might be. Uh, somebody's got the some. Bat. Somebody's got some inside information <laughs> on me. Somebody knows how to clerk. Cork the bat. We'll just say uh, that one. Oh Barry Bonds might be uh, initiating yeah. itself. Yeah. So, uh, and we we also do have photos from. We'll have a little bit of a little bit more information of what we actually look like while we're podcasting, just to kind of give you a lay of the land. Yeah, we got the cabin cam shots. So, um, or the the cabin cast shots. So, brought to you by Just Brown Underwear. JustBrownUnderwear.com, and that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week, and we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.